Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here. If you like this show and you want to make your own, let me tell you about the free platform Anchor. It's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can add songs from Spotify and create any type of content that you are looking for. Anchor will distribute it all for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space, creating space to listen to children because they have feelings too, you know? And in order for them to really, I believe, enjoy their childhood and really get the most out of that freedom of expression and communication and feeling safe to do those things is so important. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Do you have a burning question you're dying to get feedback on? Do you want an unbiased perspective on a situation you're facing? If so, visit cultivatingherspace.com and click Ask Dr. Dom under the Start Here option. Every Tuesday, I'll choose a few questions and answer them at random. Our quote of the day, a little black girl yearns for the blue eyes of a little white girl. And the horror at the heart of her yearning is exceeded only by the evil of fulfillment. This comes to us by the one and only Toni Morrison. That quote is so heavy. I feel like I need to repeat that one more time for us to really let that one sink in for this conversation we're going to have today. Toni Morrison says, a little black girl yearns for the blue eyes of a little white girl and the horror at the heart of her yearning is exceeded only by the evil of fulfillment t dom i was about to say dom don't even pass the mic to me i just i think you need to break it down because we had to revisit that quote a couple of times i mean it's tony morrison it's so deep you could literally do like a dissertation on that quote so i feel like girl take it away Yeah. Oh, geez. I mean, when I hear that quote, what really comes up for me is this notion that our black girls are so observant of what's in their environment, how they're treated and how people treat others around them. 
And to me, when I hear this quote, I think of our little black girls wanting to be nurtured and protected and uplifted in the same way that little white girls are, that they see little white girls being treated, right? And we'll talk a little bit more in this episode about what that looks like, even though, lady, if you're listening, you you know, you've experienced this. And to me, the quote is really saying that the horror of it all is that little black girls, because they see what's happening for white girls, they either end up perpetuating it themselves, right? So becoming a part of that system that protects and uplifts white girls. But then they also get into a space of trying to be like them. So maybe they are making changes to their appearance or how Mm -hmm. they talk or how they interact with other people. Essentially, basically, like, real simple. We end up dimming our light to be like the white girls when really we need to be letting our black girl magic really shine through. That's I think that's mm-hmm. like the 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 crux of what Toni Morrison is saying. Yeah, that's so powerful. Dom. As you share that, I was thinking about just so many angles that you can go in with this quote. And it makes me think about how depending on where this black girl that she's speaking of, you know, where she's raised in the environment that she's in yearning for the blue eyes of a little white girl. Right. And like you said, the horrors at the heart of her yearning actually being exceeded by the evil of fulfillment, meaning that when she actually, let's say you see this white woman that has a certain experience, she's protected, she's safe. She's looked at in a certain way. Maybe you attain that. And there's still the burden of being black that's on your shoulder. So it's like you get to where this white girl might be or how she might be viewed, but you still have this burden on you because you're still a black girl at the end of the day. And the experience is so different. The way people perceive you is so different. So it could be, I know we're talking about girls and I know we're going to hop back to girls, but I do want to say, it makes me think about adult women as well. Like maybe you see a white woman at your company and you're like, oh, I want to be in this role or be respected like her. But even if you get in that role, it's like you're still the horror of it all. It's like you you made it to the table. You're still there. But then you still have to deal with the racism, the gaslighting, the bullshit. Right. And it all boils down to perception. And I think that's what we're going to dive into today is the perception of black girls, because Dom, as you were saying before we even hopped on to the mic, we often talk about how black boys are. Is adultified the word? Is that the official word? Is that even a word? Adultified? <laughs> I don't know if that's the official word. Let me Google but, it. Let me Google it real quick, y'all. I don't want to be. That yeah. has been the word I've been using, but adultification bias is the overall like academic term. Okay. There we go. And I actually Googled it and I see adultified up here. Okay. And there's a definition. Okay. okay. And it's from a university. So I'm like, all right. But we talk about black boys, we talk about black people, but talking about black girls is often missing. Right. And so Dom, do you want to just let us know, like, what does it even mean? I think we can kind of assume, but like, what does it mean when you say adultification? Yes. So adultification is essentially when teachers, law enforcement, and even parents view black girls or black boys as less innocent 
and more adult-like than their white peers. And Dr. Jamila Blake, who is a professor at Texas A&M, has done a lot of research on that particular term and the effects of Black girls being adultified. So essentially, it's Black girls are being treated as though they are Black women. And when you think about how we interact with women, and if Black girls are being interacted with in that way, how problematic that is for those girls to have that experience. That makes perfect sense. And lady, I don't know about you. I'm not necessarily an expert on this topic, but we have so much data that we're going to review today and personal experiences. And I can speak from personal experiences about some of the common stereotypes. So we're going to dive into some of that and talk about the negative effects, but then also talk about how we can create a safe space for our girls to just be girls because it's so important, right? And so when I think about some of the common stereotypes, Dom, growing up that I saw, and this is not even looking at any data, one- Black girls were seen as fast if they dressed a certain way, spoke a certain way, like, oh, she fast, right? And depending on where you are in the world, I don't know, that might be a different term for you, but fast meaning promiscuous, right? Right. So even if you're young, let's say you have on short shorts and you want to go out, you're fast ass, like what you doing, you know, wearing them short shorts, whatever it might be, right? Or I think about being loud and obnoxious, right? So you can have a group of white kids walking by or white girls and they might be laughing, giggling, they're loud. But then when the black girls walk by and they have the same energy, now it's looked at as a, as a different way, right? They're loud, they're disruptive, you know? Oh, child. Yes. <laughs> I, I can think of personal examples of that happening, of being in spaces where I've seen white folks be loud. And having a good time and no one says anything about it. But the looks that come about or the comments that might even be made when a group of black kids are doing the same. Mm -hmm. Also, another stereotype of they are just, you know, black girls are just out to do bad things, right? They're out to do hood rat shit. <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're just, they're all, all, all black girls. All black girls are just out there up to no good, you know? And that's not the case, right? And especially when you compare to their white counterparts, it's like, there's a big discrepancy. I think about even, you know, with the school shootings in the U.S., we have a lot of school shootings, unfortunately, a lot of shootings in general, and most of the perpetrators are white men, right? School shootings, most of the perpetrators are white boys, And when you think about situations that black girls might be involved in, whether it might be, I'm just using this as an example, because all races of kids get into fights. But if it's a black girl who gets into a fight, they're just viewed differently, right? The law views them differently. Their punishment is different. They are viewed as more violent. Whereas you look at the white boy, you know, Billy, who shot up whatever institution, there's a lot more empathy for him, right? So he's viewed as a child in a lot of cases, even if you look at the media and it's like, oh, Billy was a Boy Scout. You know, he was troubled. His parents, you know, this happened at home and there's always an excuse for them. And there's a lot of empathy and they are really doing a good job of trying to create this image of innocence and this childlike disposition when he murdered people. 
But then the black girl is like this villain, this dangerous monster, you know? Yes. You can literally see this in the media, right? Yes, we definitely see this in the media. And honestly, when I step back and I think about this, what comes up for me is that generally the black girl is usually in a situation where she's trying to defend herself. And so how is it that when she is trying to defend herself, it's problematic, but a white boy who is inflicting harm on multiple people, he's viewed as he's the victim when really he was the aggressor. Mm He was the initiator. So, Dom, can we talk about socialized adultification? What's socialized adultification? Socialized adultification is similar to a term that we've heard before, the parentified child. Socialized adultification is when children, particularly children in low-income families, take on adult-like roles to help with family needs, right? So they might become caregivers in the household. They might become taking on chores in the household. They might even be out there having jobs. So taking on roles that adults typically would. And so with that may come some level of adult knowledge, and it may seem as if these children are more mature, but all of that does not actually match up with their developmental stage. Now, Dom, I just heard a big sigh from some of the Black mamas that listen. And when you said chores, I heard them say pause. Can you clarify when you say chores? What do you mean by chores? (laughs) Yes. So I do want to acknowledge that everybody's circumstances are different and that for a lot of families out there, having your children take on more adult roles is not necessarily something in if your settings were ideal that you would want your children to do. Right. So asking your 10 year old to watch the younger siblings. Right. Asking your 12 year old to cook a full dinner meal. And when I say cook a full dinner meal by themselves, that that's not like putting something in the microwave and saying, here, this is what we're having. Right. It's having to put things in the oven and prepare things on the stove by themselves. And Dom, it's out of responsibility and necessity. It's not like, oh, we're going to have a fun family, like baking day. It's like, no, you need to fix dinner or like we may not eat. You know what I mean? Like that burden of responsibility, right? It's the parents are not available in the home at that time. And so, yes, that burden of responsibility falls on that child, right? So like saying to the 10-year-old that, okay, you have to get your younger siblings from school. So like you get out of school at 315, your younger siblings all are at the same school. You have to make sure as a 10 year old, you have to make sure that everyone gets home together. And then you have to prepare their snacks, help them with their homework and get dinner on the table because 
parents aren't coming home until after eight o'clock at night. That's different than mom and dad or mom, mom, dad, dad, whatever your situation may be. That's different than the parents say, okay, 10 year old, you make sure all the siblings, everyone walks home together. You all get home and one of the parents is there. And the parent then steps in and assists with homework and assists with getting, din- you know, getting dinner done. And the 10 year old may come in and help out, but the 10 year old is not responsible. Putting that child who developmentally is not in a place to take on all of those responsibilities, that's socialized adultification. And that makes perfect sense. I think many of us have experienced that in our own lives. And I do want to read off some of the information from this amazing article called Girlhood Interrupted, the Erasure of Black Girls' Childhood. And there are a few points in here, Don, that, again, I've experienced in life or heard about, but when you see it paired with the data and research, it just gives, it just breaks your heart even more, right? To know that this is just so deeply just entrenched in our culture in many ways. And so a few of the things that I see here, it says compared to white girls of the same age, survey participants perceive that black girls need less nurturing, less protection. Black girls need to be supported less, to be comforted less. Black girls are more independent. Black girls know about more adult topics. Black girls know more about sex. And while this may be true for different parts of the population, it's not the case for all black girls, you know, but we're kind of seen as this monolithic group and this is how people perceive us. Right. And because of that, there are then implications. Now, Don, there was another interesting part of this research paper that says three dominant paradigms of black femininity that originated in the South during the period of slavery have persisted into present day culture, which paint black females as hypersexual, boisterous, aggressive and unscrupulous. I'm like, damn. That just makes us sound awful. And we know that that's not the case, that we know that we are not those things. And I think to me, when I hear those, when I hear that those descriptions and I hear that data, immediately what comes up for me is two things. One, the long term outcome. And two, the immediate negative effects. Right. So like that long term outcome. It makes me think about how in settings, whether it's the work setting or socialized settings, when we become women, we are then expected to be the caretakers of everybody in that environment. We are expected to hear jokes that are offensive, step in and nurture everyone else around us to let's just say you're at like a social gathering whether it's for work or otherwise you're expected to like kind of come in and like clean up or make sure that things are set up right even though you are a guest yourself right mm. so i think about it from that perspective like in terms of like the long term that As adults, we are not being protected in that regard, right? But then I think about specifically for our little girls in those moments that 
they are not allowed to really be themselves. And I think about the inner turmoil that they might be experiencing when no one is protecting them, when they see other people in their environment, other kids in their environment being protected over them. And when they are being misunderstood. So I think about the implications in the classroom where you have little black girls who may be understimulated in the classroom because they are hella smart and they are ahead of, of the material that's being presented. So perhaps they start asking lots of questions, raising their hand and asking lots of questions because they're curious children. But then they're being labeled as obstinate or disruptive mm-hmm. because they're raising their hand and asking questions. And sometimes they m- might be asking questions that the teacher doesn't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. That's a really good point, girl. I'm thinking about personal experiences. Like maybe you and I can share some of our personal experiences of how we've seen this in our own life. I know that for me, I was a late bloomer, like in every sense of the word. Me too. And I remember you too, girl. Oh my gosh. I was, I remember when I first started growing breast, I was so excited. I had to be like, uh, I did like 15 or 16 when they first like really started like coming and they were still small, but it was something right. And I remember there were a few males in the family. I'm not going to call anyone out because this was actually normal for me, but they would kind of bring attention to it, like in a joking way. And there were actually women and men in the family because it was kind of, that's just, my family's interesting. Like that's just kind of what was happening. And it, even as a kid, it, there were points where it was uncomfortable, but when you're accustomed to that, you kind of, you kind of just laugh it off. So I think about those instances of like bringing attention to my growing breasts when I was a teenager. But then also I noticed that there were certain men, I remember walking from school one day and there were certain men that basically watched me grow up and they would always kind of be around in the neighborhood. And when I began to develop a bit more, I remember them starting to stare and like, I would feel uncomfortable. It was like, okay, this is like a weird look now. Like, I feel like this is like, I need to hurry up and get out of this situation because it just made me uncomfortable the way that they were sort of gazing. And those are just a few instances that make me think about how we often are sexualized at young ages. And that can then impact the way that we decide to show up, right? Based on how we interact, I want to say, with that attention or how that makes us feel. And I have another one, Don, but I want to pass it to you to see if you have anything that's similar or just in examples of adultification. Yeah. I mean, I think about like how I was like that parentified child, right? And how that showed up for me in terms of like that socialized adultification in that I was charged with looking after my siblings while my mom was at work. Right. And so that meant like that example that I gave of having to like cook or make sure that food was on the table, you know, and we weren't a household that did like after school snacks or anything like that. But I can think about instances where cooking was beyond what I probably should have been doing by myself at that age, right? But also being expected to 
set an example and look after. So like being able to make quick decisions around, oh, these are the behaviors that your siblings should not be engaging in. And if they start engaging in that behavior, then you have to kind of become a disciplinarian, right? Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to spank them, but you have to make it clear that the behavior they're engaging in is problematic. And then, and then you need to call mom at work if they start acting up. But asking a 13 year old to truly step in and be a disciplinarian for other children, that's forcing that 13 year old to think on levels and think in ways and make decisions that most 13 year olds developmentally aren't fully capable of doing. Mm hmm. And so then it forces you to be pseudo mature, right? Because emotionally at 13, emotionally, I think about my 13 year old self. And then I think about most other 13 year olds. And, and even though like UT, I was a late bloomer from just a psychological, physical developmental perspective. I was like most 13 year olds, like your body is going through so many changes and you don't know what the hell is happening and you can't explain it. You don't have the words for it. And so I think about that and recognize that even though that may not have been my mom's intention based on our situation, you know, you're in a single parent household, like that may not have been the intention to make this child take on all of these adult responsibilities in the same way that an adult would, that was the impact, right? Yeah, no, that's a really good point, Dom. And I know that, you know, we've shared our stories on the podcast before, and I think we have a lot in common in regards to certain aspects of our upbringing, being a late bloomer, being parentified children. And I think about the negative effects of it. Now, this is not based on research per se. This is just my personal experience. But when I think about the negative effects of adultification that I've experienced, a few things come to mind for me. And one would be anxiety. I feel like... Yes. Yeah. Like, I feel like as a child having to deal with... Like, I mean having to raise my younger siblings and having to be an adult and make these decisions about discipline and, you know, meals and just a lot of other adult things, registering them for school and things like that. There's a lot of stress and anxiety that comes with that. But I also think about the fact that when we get older, remember how when we were younger, they was like, girl, enjoy your childhood. Okay. Cause one day you're going to be an adult. You want to pay bills and da, 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 da. And child, yes. when I became an adult <laughs> and had to pay them bills, like, damn, I really damn, I miss not having to worry about this and that and that. And I feel like when you rob a child of that experience of being truly carefree and not having to worry about bills and being an adult, they crave that in a sense, in adulthood. And it feels like a missed experience. Like I often think about certain aspects of my childhood and I'm like, damn, I, I feel like I need to do a lot of, I've done a lot of inner child healing, but there's something that I crave that I feel like I was sort of, I was sort of rushed to grow up. And I sort of crave some of that time back because it was taken from me in a way. I would say like there's this pressure that comes with adultification as well. There's a sometimes distorted perception of yourself. I know even to this day, girl, being a black girl growing up and knowing and feeling that sort of negative perception that people have like, oh, she's up to no good. I remember talking to one of my girlfriends the other day and I wanted to take the baby to the grocery store to get food. 
and I wanted to walk because my husband's at work. So I was like, I'm going to walk with the stroller. But I was like, damn, if I walk with the stroller, I don't know if I'll be able to get, I can't get a cart and do the stroller if I'm going to walk. So I was like, I could put the groceries underneath the stroller thing, but I don't want them to think I'm stealing. Mm. So I was, I had this whole, like, I got so overwhelmed and I was like, damn, I can't go get groceries because I was just so overwhelmed with the thought of, okay, me managing my newborn and me, like we don't walk by ourselves often, but then we're going to go into the store. And then what if I put the groceries in the bottom of the stroller and they think that I'm stealing, even though I, I have every intention to pay for the items, like that whole thing, we have so many of those, I want to say subtle sort of nuanced stressors yes. that other people don't deal with that we have to wear that we wear in this life because of the perception of us because of our experiences and so those are just a few of the things that come to mind when it comes to the negative effects of adultification you know yes and think about like to me as you were sharing that story like it felt so heartbreaking that that is what we have to think about right that we have to think about People are going to assume that we are stealing and all I'm trying to do is figure out how to go and get groceries with my baby. And so I think about like as an adult, you can process that. Right. But I think about from the emotional standpoint of our young girls that they recognize that they see that. But emotionally, they don't know how to fully process that, right? So they might be walking to the corner store and they might have that same thought of, well, I've had negative interactions with this store owner before. And if I go in there and it's after school and I walk in with my book bag, are they going to accuse me of stealing? Or are they going to have a policy that I have to leave my book bag at the front door so that I don't steal. Or Dom, let's be honest. Sometimes it's like, fuck it. If people think I'm this person, let me show them that I can be that person. Right. right? Cause I know we've all been there as teenagers or something where, or as, just in life where you're like, Oh, people think this is what I'm about. All right. Let me show them then. You know what I mean? Like, let me prove a point. And to me, that goes back to our developmental stages, right. And our emotional understanding and, and being able to think through things, right. That we're expecting our 12, 13, 14, 15 year olds to be able to process that when they really can't fully process that to the same extent that we can as adults. And so to me, that's why it is so problematic to have these situations where our young girls are being adultified because they cannot process things in the same way that we can. As adults. And so you end up with young girls who are depressed, who are anxious, and who may turn to harmful coping methods because they don't know how to express to the adults in their lives that what's being done to them is hurtful. Tom, are there any other negative effects that you can think of of adultification or just in your experience before we talk about the tips for protecting our girls? I think those are the main ones of like really just recognizing like that our young girls are going to experience anxiety. They're going to experience depression. And then what ends up happening, the negative effects in terms of how they get treated. So they, in schools, they may be 
more likely to be suspended or expelled or experience encounter harsh disciplinary action that's really not appropriate to what's going on for them, then they may have instances with friends and family where they are punished or interacted with in a way that does not match what's really going on in the situation. So they may, you know, the, the, the punishment is not fitting the crime if that makes sense. Gotcha. Yep. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Okay. Well, lady, we are going to dive into some takeaways. So we want to talk about how you can create a safe space for our girls to be girls and how to protect them from adultification. So Dom, you want to kick it off with our first one? Yes. Our first tip goes to the heart of what we've been saying. Use developmentally appropriate language. Because when we engage with our girls in in ways that fit where they are developmentally, it allows them to be their age. Right. So I am not going to talk to a seven year old. In the same way. That I'm talking to a 15 year old that I'm talking to. Uh, 18 or 19 year old or that I'm talking to a grown person, right? Like that's just not going to happen. Even though we may be at each of those ages in the exact same situation, right? So example, we are in the store and we are being followed because we're black as the adult in the situation. I may turn around and have a conversation with the store clerk to figure out why are they following us? Right. But then after we leave the store, when I'm processing it, I'm not going to use the same language with that seven year old that I would with the 15 year old or the 18 or 19 year old. I'm going to use language that fits where they are, even if I'm talking about the same situation. I love that example, Dom. It makes me also think about just being emotionally appropriate with children. So yes. if you have a breakup by going to vent to your, like the children are not a therapist, right. you know what I mean? like going to the child and talk about details. You know, what's crazy. I saw this tweet the other day and it made me laugh. But when you think about it, it's like, this probably shouldn't be happening. So someone said something like my four-year-old is in the room playing with Barbies. And I heard her say, put his ass in jail. And I was just like... <laughs> I'm sorry. It was funny, but I'm like, what, what's happening in this four-year-old's environment to, you know, have them use that type of language, right? So right. Just, that was a little, yeah, just a little example. <laughs> Number two is encourage freedom of self-expression. And so when I think about this, Dom, it makes me think about just letting children be free. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be the parent that's going to allow my child to like dye their hair and stuff. I see parents do that. I'm not at that point, so I really can't speak on it. But when I think about freedom of self-expression, it makes me think about just the space to be creative, the space to try new experiences. It also makes me think about, you know, just allowing children to express their feelings, right? And let you know how they feel and maybe even help them develop healthy coping mechanisms for processing those feelings and even listening to them. I think about young girls who will often, and this is in my personal experience and in my network, but they'll tell adults about something that has happened to them or 
you know, just an experience and they don't get listened to, right? Like they're not listened to. One example is, you know, a friend who went to their mom to talk about, you know, being molested by someone that everyone knew in the family. And instead of listening to that child, they brush them off or worse, oh, you're fast or they, you know, victim blame the child, but creating space to listen to children because they have feelings too, you know? And in order for them to really I believe, enjoy their childhood and really get the most out of that freedom of expression and communication and feeling safe to do those things is so important. Yes, yes, I totally agree. I think about, as you were saying that, an example that came up for me, um, my youngest niece, I'm laughing because it fits this example so perfectly, right? So my youngest niece, I was asking her to do something. And I raised my voice and her all of a sudden tears welled up in her eyes. And she said, TT, that was mean. And if I'm being honest, my immediate reaction took me back to my childhood of how adults would respond to me in my childhood of I'm the adult here. Like, I'm not worried about your feelings. Like I told you to do something, do it right. So I had that quick initial thought and then realized, wow, she's articulating to me how she's feeling. She's using her words. Let me acknowledge that. Right. And so I acknowledge that in that moment, I said, you know, you're right. That was mean. I'm sorry. And I still need you to do this. So I'm going to change my tone in which I say it, but I still need it to happen. And so then when I did that, when I changed my tone, like I acknowledged her feelings, I apologized. And then I asked for what I needed her to do in a more appropriate tone. Go ahead, TC Dom. I, I know. <laughs> and, and, you know, and so for me in that moment, it was. Yeah, look at this new generation. Look at this opportunity to really give her that freedom of self-expression that we didn't necessarily have growing up. Mm -hmm. And so then that takes us to tip number three. Assign developmentally appropriate chores. So. What that looks like is your seven-year-old is not in the kitchen washing dishes because seven-year-olds truly developmentally do not know how to wash dishes. Now, if we're being honest, lady, if you have teenagers in your household, chances are some of your teenagers do not know how to wash dishes appropriately. And that is a constant battle in your household, I'm sure. But from a developmentally appropriate perspective, your teenagers can wash dishes. Your seven-year-old, your 10-year-old, not so much. If they want to or you want to teach them like responsibilities in the kitchen, there are things that they can do to help out in the kitchen. So your 10-year-old can come in and help you cook, right? So they can pass you the seasonings and you can have a a sous chef station set up on the kitchen table for them to help you chop up. And I say chop up, but not really using knives because I don't 
seven-year-olds developmentally shouldn't really be using knives like that. But you know what I mean? Like maybe they're breaking the things apart with their hands. Like there's developmentally appropriate ways for them to assist and chores that they can do. Your 10-year-old might not be cleaning the entire household, but you can, you know, and when I say cleaning the entire household, dusting up on the highest shelves, washing windows and baseboards and vacuuming and mopping. Your 10-year-old might not be doing that, but your 10-year-old knows how to make their bed. And your 10-year-old knows how to fold their clothes. That seven-year-old, you could teach that seven-year-old how to fold their clothes and put their clothes away. So it's about developmentally appropriate chores. You hit the nail on the head with that one, Dom. And that takes us to number four, which is advocating on her behalf with teachers, friends, and family. And let me just say, this is one that my mom nailed growing up. Now, she might cuss us out, right? But she ain't gonna let nobody else talk to her kids any old kind of way, right? right? So when it comes to like, you know, I think about, for instance, when some family members might see your daughter or the young girl in the family and they say something about her outfit or like, oh, stop stop being fast if she says something, correcting them, which is sometimes really challenging to do, but letting them know like, no, she's not being fast. She's being a child. You know, sometimes we adults have, I want to say we have the propensity to pervert childlike activities. So if a child does something, we try to equate it to something that's grown, but it's like, no, this is a child. They're innocent. They're just doing something that children do. We don't have to, like if a baby's dancing, you're like, oh, look at her twerking. It's like, no, she's really not twerking. Y'all like, She's unless she watching twerking videos, you know what I mean? Like she's just being a baby and she's dancing, you know? So I think being mindful of what people around us are saying to the girls that we see, whether it's your daughters, the students you work with, whatever it might be, but letting other people know and then educating them on why we are correcting them, because it is important to get this message out so that we can not perpetuate the adultification of black girls. Yes. And that that's so hard to do, but it's so important that we do that. And so then our final tip is to let our girls be girls. Let them play. Let them make mistakes. Let them be children for as long as they possibly can. Right. So, again, Things that are developmentally appropriate. So your 12-year-old is still playing with Barbie dolls or LOL dolls or Bratz dolls or whatever else is out there these days. It's hard to keep up. But <laughs> but your your 12-year-old still wants to play with dolls. Support them in that. If that is what is developmentally appropriate. Support them in playing with dolls. If that 12-year-old says, you know, I'm versatile. I want to play with dolls and I want to learn about makeup. You get that 12-year-old developmentally appropriate makeup kits. Those do exist. Those are out there, right? You you might not necessarily be getting your 12-year-old the latest makeup kit from Sephora or the Mac store. Cause that's for grown women, but maybe you might get her a lip gloss while you're in Sephora, right? Something that is age appropriate to let her play and experiment with. 
But the, the key here, the overarching lesson for all of this is truly to just let our girls be girls. Girls in the sense of they are children. Let them truly be children. All right, lady. Well, we're going to head on over to the after show to continue this conversation. So visit our website, herspacepodcast.com and click on Wisdom Wednesday with Terry Patreon for the after show. Or you can click on in within Spotify or Apple iTunes for the after show there right within the app. And we'll see you on the other side. Hey, lady, it's Terry here from Cultivating Her Space. Are you tired of working hard for your money? Do you want your business to run smoothly when you're out of office? If you want to learn how to automate your business cash flow and increase your impact and influence, join me for my free workshop at brandwithterry.com. Again, that's brandwithterry.com. My name is spelled T-E-R-R-I. Hope to see you there, lady. Thanks for joining us today. Please note, that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website, cultivatingherspace.com, and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. I am doing the best I can with the understanding, knowledge, and awareness I have at this moment.